Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Today we're going to be reflecting on Saturday's 1-0 win over Wolves, we'll be looking ahead to the final week of the transfer window, then also Thursday's Champions League group stage draw. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, we had a positive Tottenham result. In the last weekend, although it wasn't probably the most incredible performance we've ever witnessed. Um, but the unbeaten run continues. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see now what happens in these last, what we, eight days or so, seven, eight days of the transfer window and what it means for Conte's squad and what it means for the season going forward in this strangest of seasons with the World Cup gap. And uh, and obviously the Champions Law, uh, Champions Law, the Champions League draw to come which will all be very exciting as well. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting few days uh, for Tottenham. A busy week as well with games coming up against Nottingham Forest, West Ham, and then there's, of course, transfer deadline day next Thursday. So let's start with last Saturday's 1-0 win over Wolves. Harry Kane getting the goal in the second half. Uh, header from a really good corner kick routine, what we will uh, talk about shortly. You were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Do you want to just give us your thoughts, first of all, on the result and how Tottenham played? Yeah, um, the result was good. I think you look back, especially with all the kind of slip-ups and things that happened with other teams in the Premier League at the weekend. I think a 1-0 win against Wolves, who can beat anyone on their day, has to go down as a good result. Um, I don't think performance-wise it was anywhere near what Conte wants from his players, but... You've always got the old cliche of if you cannot play particularly well and grind out a win, then you know you're kind of heading in the right direction. Um, of course, you can always come out. I saw a few people on Twitter coming out with it. The old, oh yeah, but if Wolves had better strikers, they'd have punished us. All of that, yeah, that, that's true. Of course, it's true. But they didn't, <laughs> and Spurs beat what was in front of them. Um, you can't kind of revise what happened afterwards. Um, and I do feel like second half especially, Spurs probably did have enough chances that they probably could have wrapped up the game. You know, Kane heading against the crossbar, Sonny had a good chance as well, Hoybe had a late chance, Richarlison had a late chance. There probably was enough there to say that, yes, had Spurs been more clinical, they would have also, um, you know, run away with the result. And it's, it's kind of boding quite well right now, bearing in mind... There's other teams out there who maybe are playing or looking really good, playing really good football, maybe haven't had the toughest of tests so far. Yes, of course, I'm probably talking about Arsenal, um, among others. But Arsenal, you know, look really good right now. But you could probably look at their fixtures and say they haven't been hugely tested so far by their opponents. But yes, they definitely look a much better outfit, I think, than last season. Whereas I feel Spurs... Southampton aside, obviously Southampton is a funny team. They can beat anyone in a day. They can also look dreadful on any day as well. But I do think, obviously, having Chelsea and Wolves back-to-back is, was a tough 
kind of back-to-back scenario and Spurs came out of them, you know, with seven points from the three games. And I don't think you can kind of sniff at that. And especially Antonio Conte said afterwards, he admitted, when I looked at these fixtures at the start of the season and the first three games were against the three teams we lost to, two of those lost at home, I was a little bit worried. And they've come out with that. They're now seven points up on where they were last season in those corresponding fixtures. So, yeah, I think I think people should take a lot of positives from it, even if the performances haven't been the most fluent in the last couple of games. I think to have that foundation of winning when you're not playing well shows a different mentality, shows an improved mentality. And, um, yeah, the game had its moments. First half was desperately dull, and there were boos at half time. a few of them, um, which there's two sides to that. One part of me... I'm not someone that would boo. I, I don't think I ever would as a fan in, in you know, certainly in the second home game of the season. But I've got to add the caveat that quite rightly, I understand those people pay very good money to be going to those matches. So they quite rightly can do whatever they like. And I'd also add maybe it played a part. I guess if I'm Conte and I'm going into that halftime team talk, maybe I can just point to those boos and say, look, you know, you're not giving them what they deserve. Those fans that kind of support you, like whatever the, the figure was, it was almost 62,000 people on the day when there were tra- uh, train strikes and everything. They still managed to get there. So I'm sure he would have. I know he was very angry at halftime, apparently, and what he said in the uh, in the dressing room. So I'm sure he would have harnessed those boos as well. So yeah, while I'm not the biggest fan of booing, especially so early in the season. I do think it probably could have been used by Conte quite well. Um, and that second half was much better. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 certainly not doom and gloom whatsoever. Although I do think Conte, you know, he flew out later that night to Italy to uh, spend a bit of quality time with the family. I do wonder whether you're sitting on that plane thinking, I'm no Nuno, though. I didn't get nine points from my thir- first three matches. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll live through it. Yeah, I think seven points from nine with the games, especially one of them being away at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. I think it's uh, it's a good return. And I think you've got to remember that teams aren't always at the best at the start of the season. I mean, look at relegation threatened Liverpool at the moment. What have they got? The <laughs> two points. <laughs> that is shocking. I can't believe you said that with complete serious face as well. You should have seen Guesty's face there. That was said like you'd imagine a newsreader doing the six o'clock, like the 10 o'clock news or something. That was honestly uh, how you did that. So deadpan. That's very impressive. Relegation threat in Liverpool. Clops on borrowed time now. (laughs) uh, What I was going to say is basically teams aren't at the best at the start of the season. I think the good thing for Tottenham is they've still got a few more gears to go through until everything, you know, clicks into the place and they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, So I think you've got to be happy with three points against Wolves. Yeah, in an ideal world, everyone would like Tottenham to be playing that free-flowing football and, you know, getting four or five goals against Wolves, but that's not always the case. And Wolves are a good team. If you look on paper, they've got some really good players, Ruben Neves, Pedro Neto, Nunes, who they just signed from Sporting CP in the week. I think looking at Bruno Lager's post-match comments, I think he was happy with how they performed. And I think he actually said he thinks Wolves actually surprised Tottenham with how they performed and, you know, controlled the game at times. Uh, 
three points is three points at the end of the day. At the end of the season, you don't look at the table and go, oh yeah, we only finished with X amount of points, but we didn't play well against Wolves. It's three points what matters. And yeah, I think you've got to be happy with seven points from nine to start the season with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I don't know if I entirely agree with Bruno on the Wolves would have surprised Spurs. It was like, it pretty much feels like the format of most Wolves Spurs games. You know, they pack the extra man into midfield. They have that little bit more control in midfield. I think what Conte was annoyed about is that when that's the case, you have to use your width. And for some reason, the wing-backs didn't, in that first half especially, struggled to push on. Um, Perisic included, actually, although he had an excellent kind of second half. Um, I felt that Spurs didn't use the width well at all. That's, well, it's 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 maths, isn't it? It's simple numbers. If, if Wolves have got an extra man in the midfield, it means that Spurs have an extra man elsewhere. <clears throat> and that is, you know, is going forward. Um, and, yeah. I don't think they were surprised. I just think they didn't quite perform. I think there's been a theme, I'd say, in the first three matches, and it's something Conte clearly has to sort out, is the first five, ten minutes, Spurs have always started really brightly with a high intensity. They've pushed, they've pressed right high up the pitch, and it's looked a really good start. And then after the ten-minute mark, they seem to just drop off a cliff. It's like a really weird kind of passive game comes in. Um, obviously against Southampton they kind of found a way to they conceded the the goal but then they found a way to come back I guess technically they they also did the next two games but I just felt they were more passive in the um, passive <laughs> more passive in the next two games um, than they had been and uh, that's just something I think he's got to sort out why is they're clearly incredibly fit that's been worked on in the preseason you can tell in the second half of every match so far they've come on strong but what is it about that middle chunk of games? You know, pretty much the 10 to, maybe say the t 10 to half time period in the first half, especially what is kind of happening with the side that they're, they're just dropping back and, and and not bringing the quality or the, yeah, intensity is probably just the best word for it. Um, there's no logic to it. You know, I've seen some people say, oh, maybe they're knackered from preseason. Well, they're not because... Otherwise, the second half, they'd be knackered as well. Whereas the second half, I feel they're getting stronger. They've clearly got the stamina levels. Um, it's just something about their game. They're falling back into a... It's almost like a... I don't know how to describe the formation. It's almost like a 5-4-1 kind of at times they fall back into. And it's like that is absolutely... Conte, yes, he wants a defensive. There was a really interesting piece he did with Owen Hargreaves this week. Um like a Conte masterclass that's for Premier League productions. I really recommend people watching it because he was talking about his formation and how, yes, he very much wants a solid defensive base, but the whole kind of his system is also built on attack. Um, and it's worth watching that because that just shows you clearly the players are deciding to do something. It's not what Conte is telling him to do. And But hey, seven points from three games, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad, all bad at all. Obviously, it was a 1-0 win, very slender win uh, in attack. Son Heung-min, again, not his best. Obviously, I wasn't at the game uh, on Saturday, but it does seem like he uh, struggled again. He was, it was a little bit, it was a bit below his normal kind of levels. I think you can definitely say that. The thing that I would always say about Sonny, I've seen people already saying that he should be dropped. We went through this last season. 
it's like you don't write off Sonny. You just don't. The moment you say Sonny should be dropped is normally when he makes you look daft and he'll score a fantastic goal and he'll roar back to life. And I think that's what Conte sees, you know, in Sonny, even in a game. Like, take Saturday, for instance. It's a perfect example. Had a game where, yeah, his influence probably wasn't as much as it would normally be. What happened? Put in the corner that Perisic knocked to Kane and scored. So even in his games where he's not fully at the level he normally is, he still contributes to a goal, whether it's a goal, whether it's assist, whether it's a pre-assist. Um, yeah, I think it's just something with him about a sharpness. Because in pre-season, he looked good. Um, there's just something maybe about these... I wouldn't say it was awful in the first game either against Southampton. I just think maybe the last two games... Chelsea very deliberately used Reese James to kind of mark him out the game. And you could see that affected his confidence and the time he had on the ball. In this game, I think he was just a little bit below where he'd normally be. Um, I would be stunned if we see the same Sonny against uh, Forrest. I think he will come out roaring in that game as well because I think he likes to also have a bit of a point to prove as well, which is uh, which is no bad thing in a player at all. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't at his normal levels. He had a good chance when Kane put him through with a quick free kick, um, took a quick curling free kick, and Sonny... <sighs> It was a difficult one. It was one of those where the ball was bouncing. He had to control it. It was a bit awkward, but he probably will have felt he could have done better with it when he looks back on it. Um, just been a bit more aggressive in the way he took the ball forward um, just to give himself a bit more space. But yeah, um, another good... It was quite interesting. I, I'd heard that. I didn't see this, but apparently some people, some of the pundits were saying it was a bad corner that led to Spurs' goal. I'd imagine, I know we're going to talk about him later, I'd imagine that was a Gianni Vo set piece. And that was a very, it felt deliberate to me. It looked like it was a near post one for Perisic to nod on. But yeah, so I, I, I certainly wouldn't criticise the set piece whatsoever. Um, I think there was an iffy set piece in the first half though when, when Sonny, I think he just curled it straight out of play. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I wouldn't worry. If, if there's any player I would worry about, it's certainly not Sonny. Um but yeah, others others showed their quality, uh, and he will as well, no doubt. I'd imagine against Forest, I'd be stunned. I'm actually going to predict Sonny will score against Forest. I think with Sonny, we've seen it in patches before in previous seasons where he's not been at his best at all, but he still managed to chip in with the goals. I think that was yeah. very much the case, probably around end of February, March time uh, last season. So. Obviously, the thing is at the moment, he's not at his best and he's not scoring. But I think for any striker in the game, once you get one goal, whether it just hits you on the backside or goes in or it's a wonder goal, then your confidence just, you know, increases massively. So I think he just needs a goal. And I think yeah. against I think against Forrest, he's going to get the chances. And I know some have been saying maybe time to give him a bit of a rest and put Richarlison in. But Conte did seem to indicate in his press conference ahead of the Wolves game that in terms of rotating his team, it probably will be once there's, you know, three matches in a week. And I think that that is the case after the Nottingham Forest game when there's West Ham midweek and then Fulham at the weekend. So I think he'll go with full strength team again as he has done in the past few games. And then it'll probably be another week or two. Then we start seeing the rotations because he did say in his press conference he's playing the players who he's worked with for a long period of time at Tottenham. 
you know, uh, gently easing the new signings in, like Richarlison's coming off the bench for, what, 15, 20 minutes, Ipa Suma as well. So give it a few weeks. That's when we'll start seeing the changes. But I think Sonny is going to get the chances against Forrest and fingers crossed he will be able to take one this week. Yeah, I mean, Sonny did also have a little disagreement with Hugo Lloris. It wasn't a big thing whatsoever. It was very much what we see happening on the football pitch all the time when players just... They just have different opinions on a moment. And all it was was um, Hugo Lloris got the ball, took it from, I think it was a deflected cross that came into his arms, and he wanted Spurs to break quickly. Sonny had a bit of space behind him, so he wanted to throw it to Sonny and Sonny to run on and, and counter. Sonny did the opposite and said to him, no, let's calm down the play. He had a different view on it. And they just had a little bit of a back and forth kind of, disagreement I guess and it continued for a little while once Sonny had gone up the other end of the pitch you could kind of see him still barking back at each other almost the length of the pitch but that was it that was it it was done and dusted with after that it was not I think people maybe were envisaging envisaging it was something like the Everton game wasn't it when they were properly going at each other as they went off the pitch in the dressing room it wasn't that at all just one of those moments where yeah, just two players have a different view on a scenario um, Lloris thought it was a chance to break Sonny I don't know whether it was because he just wanted Spurs to calm down or whether he was like, I don't really want to do another pitch long run at this exact moment in the, I think it was the second half. Um, I don't know, but you know, the only thing I'd probably say is yes, Sonny of course is, is world-class and, and he is a, a star player. Uh, I'd probably, I think if the captain tells you to do something, you probably do it because he's your captain. Um, doesn't matter kind of who you are. And I'd expect whether it was Kane, Hoybier, um, you know, Romero, anyone else on that pitch, if if Larisha Captain tells you to do something, you probably should. I think that's the only kind of opinion I'd say on that. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, Sonny will be fine. And I also wonder with these games coming up, because obviously, yes, Forrest is a game that's come after seven days, but I, I wonder whether he looks at this period of games and starts to maybe, I'm not saying Sonny and Richarlison, but maybe elsewhere, maybe starts to make some tweaks on Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday, isn't it, for us, with the West Ham game in mind. You know, will there be certain players he wants to play against West Ham who he doesn't want to play? Probably, I'm thinking, maybe even Perisic. Maybe even Perisic, 33 years old, would he rather use him against West Ham in a derby than he would against Forrest? away and maybe Sessegnon comes back in. I think that will be really intriguing to see how he starts the rotation because I think we're going to have a, a lot of fans going to be very like, um, they're going to debate, let's put it that way. They're going to debate a lot of the changes that I think are going to come. But the whole point of it is that Conte wants um, an exact similar level quality, whoever the player he brings in. So it's going to be kind of one of these where I think you and I are constantly be saying, well, you know, Conte wants that. and It's what he wants. They're the same level. He doesn't see it as any different. But I think fans, it's going to be a bit of an alien concept. We're very used to a set 11 that are probably the best 11 and a couple of other players that we argue should be in the team. And that's it. Whereas now the idea is to have, what, 22, 23 players or more that could all be in that team at any one time. Yeah. Uh, as you touched on Larice earlier, speaking of leaders, Pierre-Emil Hoybieg uh, had a good game in midfield. Someone who perhaps doesn't get the appreciation he deserves from uh, Tottenham fans. Uh, I was 
looking at one of the videos I put on Instagram yesterday, it was Hoibieg in the first half, just the ball, he was just dictating play. Yeah, Everyone was, was passing to him. Really good uh, piece of play from him. Uh, how did he do? Impressed with him? I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. I I do think Hoibier is kind of falling into this pigeonhole of being a player that some fans just have decided he's not the silkiest, sexiest player in the world, so we can replace him. And I think it slightly colours the way they look at games. And I think Hoibier is one of those guys. It's a cliche, but I think if he wasn't in the team, you'd miss him. I think you, he's one of those guys, you you know, as, as the song goes, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And I do feel like that's one of those with Hoybier. Um Because I immediately, I thought, I, was, I think I gave him probably an eight. I, I put him up there as one of my best players in my player ratings. I just felt he never stopped. He was just like this Duracell Energizer bunny kind of thing, just annoying the hell out of um, Wolves the whole time. And especially when Wolves had that extra man as well, I felt that added work rate was so crucial. I thought Benton Kerr seemed to get a lot of praise, but I actually felt Benton Kerr in the first half was quite sloppy. I didn't think he started well. I thought second half he was superb, Benton Kerr, but I thought first half he gave the ball away in quite a few dodgy situations. Whereas I felt Hobier, other than the odd misplaced pass, I did feel that he really pushed Spurs on. I mean, there were a couple of moments in the second half when he just dribbled up the pitch by himself. Um, and it was no one. You can see Conte on the sidelines screaming at the rest of the squad. It's like, why is he being left to do this lone battle all the way up as well? Um, I thought he was really good. And it just kind of shows you even like I had this. I was talking to these guys on the train back to Chesant Station after the match from White Hart Lane. And they were the loveliest guys. And one of them, who was a very nice chap, he just he goes to me because he sees them on my laptop. And he goes, whatever you do, please don't write nice things about Hoybier. And I was like, why not? And he goes, because he was rubbish. And I was like, just out of interest, do you know who they voted man of the match on BT Sport? And he went, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, well, I know, but it was Hoybier. So, but just because, you know, if, if everyone's seeing that, it's just, I, I just think it's this funny little way that we are very much, um, yeah, I guess, coloured in the way we look at stuff. And it does paint our perception of a performance it paints a lot of different things and we're going to talk about Davinson Sanchez because I think he's in exactly the same boat but I'll just give you some of the stats I had for Hoybier um where are we I've got them here somewhere right Hoybier stats for the match 95.6 percent pass accuracy from his 68 passes completed all six of his attempted long balls had a hundred percent dribble success rate made 85 touches played 17 final third passes. So it's not just he was passing around his own half or anything. Um, he won two tackles, had one shot on target late on, and made one interception. You know, his numbers were superb. They're right up there. And, you know, there's been links this, this last week or so with Real Madrid replacing Casemiro. I'm sorry. They don't just pick some random clogger from, a you know, who's not particularly great. Uh, you know, the Spanish press would not go near someone like that. Um, he's a good player and he's a leader. He's a very intense guy. He is very much, his entire being is focused towards winning. Have a look out there, some really interesting kind of interviews with him. Obviously, he's had some kind of sad things happen in his family life when he was, you know, in years gone by, which I think have focused him in the, in the way he views, I guess, his career, his ambitions and everything. Um, and yeah, I think you take Hoybier out of that team and I think you lose one of your biggest leaders. 
I get that people, I get that everyone wants to see Benton Kumbasuma. I get that impression that that's the one they want to see. What I would suggest is only from what we can see thus far and what we saw in pre-season, I kind of get the feeling that Conte feels like it's Hoybier or Skip with Benton Kerr or Basuma. I feel like that's the blend he's looking at. Maybe two slightly more uh, leader-driving-on type players with two maybe slightly more technically. I think that's maybe harsh harsh on Skip and Hoybier because I think both of them are capable of very, very good technical things. But I think you probably see Hoybier and Basuma maybe uh, maybe it's a perception thing, but you see them maybe more as the technically gifted of the quartet. Um, and I think that's where Conte is seeing the blend in that midfield. But I do think you take his leadership out of that midfield, I think you're starting to struggle for leaders in that team. You kind of need a leader at every part of the spine of a team. You've got Lloris in goal, Dyer in the back line, Kane up front. You need Hoybier in the middle. And that's probably the most important part to have your leader in that centre of the pitch. So... Yeah, I feel it gets a bit of a bum rap, does poor old Pierre. Um, again, like I say, I think you, you take him out of there. I'm trying to think of games last season when he didn't play. I think, didn't he? There was one match he didn't start in or even come on and they lost, didn't they? That was Wolves. The game before against yeah. Southampton, he didn't have a good game. and I think that was the first time he'd been taken off uh, yeah. as a Spurs player. Uh, yeah, so no yeah and then... then. Two games, two games. Game he got taken off. Game he didn't start, and they lost both. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is with some fans. Why he's not appreciated as much as he, he should be? Is it a case of because he doesn't get the goals and assists on a regular basis? Uh, is it because Benton it cause... doesn't score lots of goals or no, lay on assists no. either? And I don't think Basuma's no. got a great record. They're very kind of similar players in that aspect. No, but is it because Benton Kerr's maybe come from Juventus? Maybe. Uh, he's got nice stuff. He's got some silky skills. He's very composed. Maybe he's just more pleasing on the eye. I don't know. Yeah, so I think we've... Some players probably aren't rated so highly by some because they do work that you don't really see. Dirty work in midfield and that. It, it might be a case of that, but for me, Hoybjerg's a player's player. If you ask the players about Hoybjerg, they'll rave about him, the work he does for the team and Conte as well. I mean, look at it. He played every single minute in his first season at the club under Jose Mourinho. He was a regular starter last season, apart from that Wolves game. After he'd been dropped, I think he needed the rest at that point just because he'd played so so much football prior to then. Then once he was back in the team, he was brilliant. I can remember when they lost it. Manchester United, it was fantastic that day. Real driving force in midfield. And as, as you're saying, I think you'll see Hoybjerg's true worth to the team once he's out of it. I think he's a really, really good player and Tottenham fans should appreciate him a lot, lot more for me. Yeah, and, he, and he won't get knackered this season because of the whole rotation idea. When, when Skippy should be back, you know, within the next week or so, um, and, well, week and a half, maybe two weeks, uh, I'm sure Conte will will tell us this week, but yeah, I think when Skippy's able to rotate with him, I think we'll see Hoybier kind of rested, and we'll see a fresher, stronger Hoybier as well. Um, sometimes I feel he's been criticised in the past when he's been running to the ground, and it's like that's no real time. I think Sonny was the same. I think Sonny, when we he's had some moments where people moaned about him, I think that's probably because he was playing pretty much every minute possible 
And I think Kane probably falls in that category as well. And that's the beauty of this new squad is that hopefully all of those players will be able to have minutes of rest when Conte feels they're getting near the, uh, is it the red zone? I think they call it when they're starting to get to an area where their bodies probably do need uh, a bit of recovery. As you were talking about a few minutes earlier, Dabinson Sanchez, I think he's someone else who deserves plenty of praise. Uh, He's not had the best of times at Tottenham in recent months in terms of he's had to be on the bench with Christian Romero playing so well in that right-sided centre-back position. But when he's come into the team, I think he's been fantastic. Even when he was a regular earlier in the season, last season, I thought he was delivering some really good performances. And I think following a a good Copper America campaign when Colombia did really well, I think he just returned back full of confidence. And you've seen that in his performances. And yeah, uh, I mean, he's going to lose his place in the team when Christian Romero comes back. But perhaps someone who doesn't really deserve to, because Spurs have looked good defensively. And I think they've not conceded, have they, when he's been in the team recently? No, no. He, uh, Spurs have not conceded a Premier League goal in seven and a half hours with Davinson Sanchez in the back line. And I noticed he did a little tweet, didn't he, after the game? I think he put it on Instagram as well. It's something like another clean sheet kind of thing. And it was a little bit of a... I think it was just a little kind of point to be made of... Because obviously it wasn't another clean sheet for the team. Because obviously it was 2-2 against Chelsea and, and uh, 4-1 in that first game as well. So... Another clean sheet was clearly him talking about him being in the team. And I like that. Why not? Because I do feel that there's this narrative built around Sanchez that because he makes the odd daft mistake once in a while, um, you know, we've said this a million times, there's probably one moment in every match where he'll just do something that he knows that he should probably iron out of his game. And it's one moment. And I'd say 90% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, it doesn't lead to anything. But I just think maybe fans remember that moment. And I think it's doing a disservice to a player who Poch said when he joined, he was very clear, this guy can become one of the best defenders in the world. And even Conte, you know, Conte said last season, that if he can just sort out that last little bit of focus, he could be an absolutely top, top player. Um, and I do feel like, yeah, I, I always... You know, we're, I think we're both the same. We don't like it when fans kind of almost like not gang up on a player, but just decide. They make their decision on the player and that's it. doesn't matter whether they play well or not. They kind of only see a certain version of their performance. And I felt uh, Sanchez at the end of last season came in, last three games, bearing in mind, you know, we're always talking about how difficult it is for players with no rhythm whatsoever to come into a team suddenly and have to perform. And I think he came in those last three games of the season, starting with a North London derby. And I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was he was probably one of Spurs' best defenders in those last three games. Um, and they kept clean sheets, didn't they? All three games. Yeah. Uh, oh, it must be. That's, that's why he's saying another yeah. clean sheet. Yeah, of course it is. Um, yeah. And I just... I just kind of felt before the game, there was this bit like, oh, he's no Romero. And yes, he is no Romero. He's a very different defender. He's not in a, He's not got the attacking ability that Romero's got. He's not got that kind of... I'd say he does share a fair bit of the aggression that Romero's got, I think, in the challenge. Um, but I just felt there was a little bit more ahead of the game. It was a bit like, oh, God, Sanchez is coming back in. And I just felt like in the first half, he made two terrific covering runs 
that um, I think it was Guides was trying to get through, and he made these two sliding blocks in him that was superb. It was really, really well-timed, really well-anticipated, showed that he's got that bit of pace that probably the other three don't have in that back line. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought it was very good. He did have one slightly iffy moment, which was an unfortunate one. There was a ball over the top, which he was trying to duck out the way of, I think, to let it go through to Lloris, and it kind of hit him on the back of the neck, um, and it did give Wolves the ball uh, around the box. But other than that, it kind of recovered from that as well. And in the second half, put in some really big kind of tackles, interceptions, headers. Um, and I just feel with him, yeah, I think it's really unfair on Big Dav because he's he's a popular guy in that squad. He gives everything for this team. Um, I don't know. I just wonder sometimes where he feels like he's not wanted by the fans i don't know i don't i'm not going to read into his brain or anything i just wonder that at times does he these players must look on social media and you know it, it must it must affect them in some way um and i just feel especially if there's no big bid comes in late in the window for him i think he's a more than capable backup for christian romero or ability to rotate i wouldn't even go as far to say backup i think there's Certain games when you don't want to overplay Romero, who, you know, got to be honest, he's had a fair few injuries since he came to Spurs. So he's a guy that you don't want to overuse. And I think rotating him with Sanchez uh, in certain games is, I don't think Conte would even think twice about it, to be honest. No, I think he'll play a lot of football this season just because of the amount of games coming up and especially if you know Spurs are handed a favourable Champions League draw then there might yeah. be a bit more rotation in there well, just in regard brilliant in the Champions League this is the other thing people can't forget he's got some big matches in Champions League and he's been superb that first season I remember him being brilliant against I think it was Real Madrid in both matches and everything you think kept Ronaldo quite quiet other than was it a penalty I think he scored in one of them um, but yeah yeah, no, I think I think you're spot on. I think Champions League could be a good place where he, he uses him. Just in regards to his mistakes, then, do you think he needs one in a game just to refocus himself, maybe? Is it a case of maybe. that? Maybe. Yeah, it's not a bad shout. Maybe. I would suggest that most coaches would say why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not players need that. Um Maybe it's a maturity thing. What is he now? 25, 26? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. getting up there now. Obviously, he was only 21 when he joined Spurs, wasn't he? Um, so maybe he's coming to that point in his career where he will be maturing and his focus will be better. And he'll, you know, you're, you're as especially as a central defender, you should really be ever improving. You know, I don't think they hit their peak until their late 20s, maybe even early 30s. So, I think there's a lot more to come from Davinson Sanchez. Um, and I really, I, don't, I just, I don't see him in the way I think some other fans do. I, I do. I think I see a very good player who, yes, he will have those odd moments, but I don't think those odd moments should define him because I think what he does for the rest of it is often better than those around him. Yeah, right. Let's get on to Saturday's goal scorer, Harry Kane, uh, a record-breaking goal. It was obviously his 250th goal for Spurs. He's now 16 away from Jimmy Greaves's record. 185 Premier League goals. He's gone above Sergio Aguero, fourth on the list, two behind Andy Cole. His 185th goal in the Premier League also makes him uh, the highest 
And then it was also Spurs' 1,000th home Premier League goal uh, since the inception of the Premier League back in 1992. Good goal for Kane, good movement to get rid of uh, his marker to lose him. And it was from a set piece from the training ground, Gianni Vio, certainly paying off two goals, two games from set pieces. Yeah, and you could argue, if you really wanted to crowbar it in, that the Eric Dyer goal against Southampton kind of came from a follow-up phase from a set-piece as well. Um, so he was in the position because of that. Um, yeah, Harry Kane. You know, I saw someone kind of produced a list the other day of all the records that he's broken and the landmarks he's set. And it was like, it's like an A4 page of papers worth of stuff. The man is just ridiculously good. And I, you know... What we were saying earlier about don't know what you've got to, it's gone. I think other fans won't realise how good Harry Kane is until he probably retires. I just, honestly, I don't think they appreciate just what an incredible, not only a goal scorer, but the ability to do what he does as a playmaker as well. Um, Like I say, he could have had a lovely assist for Son and just the way he sprays the ball around. And that goal against Wolves, it would be very easy, I think, for people to kind of dismiss it as a uh, close-range easy goal, one of the easiest he's probably ever scored. You've got to rewind that about five seconds and watch the tussle he's having with Nathan Collins, who is all over him, grappling him. And he kind of does like a little shimmy, like a feint, sends Collins to the left while he runs to the right. It's a lovely bit of movement. And that's why he's there unmarked, because he's gambled. He's used a bit of skill, a bit of nous, and he's got into that position. Um, yeah, his goal tally. And when you think about that, I mean, he's, what is he? Uh, Wayne Rooney scored 208. Alan Shearer's 260. Kane's on 185. I think he'll pass, should surpass Jimmy Greaves this season, hopefully, um, in terms of the goals for the club. And, you know, it's only three off Rooney in the England um goal-scoring records as well. So he's going to end up, I think, being the Premier League's top scorer, England's top scorer. It's 10 years last week as well that he made his debut in the Premier League, which is a slight misnomer in a way because I think he had an early game and then didn't really kind of get too many games after that. Um, He's just... He is a machine. He's an incredible player. Um, and he's quite modest with it all. I was like looking at watching his uh, post-match interviews, and it's still all about the team. And you can just get the sense that he's a man that would swap all of it for winning a trophy with Spurs. I think Conte pretty much said that afterwards as well. And Conte was raving about him afterwards, just how much people don't realise not only what an incredible player he is, but what a good guy he is off the pitch as well. And Conte keeps saying this thing about how surprised he is at how hard a worker Kane is on and out, in and out of matches. Almost like, I don't know what he expected. He expected to rock up and find Kane was just like sitting on a deck chair going, all right, lads, I'll be there for the game. Um, it's just, it's really funny because he is, he's always had this incredible work ethic um, and he just has this burning desire to improve himself. And, you know, I'm just shocked that Spurs haven't entered into contract talks with him yet. They haven't, they haven't uh, offered up anything quite yet. And I think, I think it has to be a no-brainer now because, you know, definitely all the vibes we're getting from those around Kane is that, you know, he'd be willing to to talk about a new deal because he is very, very happy at Tottenham now uh, in the Conte era. So, yeah, I just say get it done because you are dealing with one of the greatest strikers in, in Premier League history. You know, everyone will have their favourites. Everyone will point to 
maybe those with incredible skill like the Thierry Henrys and, and people like that, and maybe the Agueros and the Shearers and all that, I just think Kane is going to outstrip all of them. Um, you know, when I was young, my heroes were uh, first Gary Lineker and then later Teddy Sheringham. I think Kane is a combination of both of those players. I do. I think he's got the finishing ability of Lineker and the poacher's instinct, but also the ability of Sheringham to kind of drop that, that little bit deeper. And then I'd even go as far to say he's got a bit of like a Kevin De Bruyne about him as well in terms of the way he can see a pass. He is, yeah, he is a ridiculous combination of a player. Um, I, I can bet rare. I, I don't know about you. Can you think of many players in world football that can combine all of those traits in one? He's just built to score goals. He's like, a bit like Gabriel Batistuta in that. It literally is his job to score goals. But he's like a playmaker rolled in there as well, but with an insane work ethic. I, I generally, I cannot think of another player out in the world game that's like Harry Kane. No, I think it's just a unique player. And obviously, he's just so good that he's a Tottenham player. And, you know, fingers crossed he will extend that contract and play for the club for a number of years to come. Uh, he's fantastic. I mean, just going back to his performance against Man City uh, last season, that was incredible to yeah. score two goals and just be a playmaker as well that day, just pulling the strings and causing City you know, untold problems. He's just incredible, incredible footballer. Yeah, he is. He's ridiculous. And and he's got his partnerships that he forms with Sonny as well. And I've noticed that he, he's always trying to feed. He, he seems to kind of look, he looks out to quite both wing-backs a lot as well. Um, and I feel like he's he was building up quite a good little relationship with Sessegnon as well, kind of looking for his runs really well with his pass as well. And I think that will come with Perisic too. Um, obviously, Perisic already provided two assists in two games for Kane as well. Um, and that's the scary thing is that I don't even think Kane's reached his peak yet. I think there's still even more to come from him, which defences everywhere should be absolutely terrified because I do think he'll, especially under Conte, I think he'll continue to get better and better. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Right, before we get on to transfers, uh, obviously we are sponsored by NordVPN. Ali, do you want to do the honours and tell everyone why they should be using NordVPN? Yeah, I always say this, and, and anyone that's heard this before will know this. Uh, yes, we are sponsored by NordVPN, but they were someone that I was using before they came on board anyway. Um, and especially with the Champions League draw coming up, it kind of makes me think about going abroad, covering these games and the ability to have a VPN is so important when you do stuff like that as well because, and I'm not saying anyone is only good for journalists covering games, it's pretty much also if you're going abroad or even at home because it's like a security system for whether it be your laptop, your tablet, your phone, whatever it is, it, it stops those nasty people trying to get into your personal information and things like that. It, it kind of padlocks everything you're using but also it also has the added benefit of um, being able to kind of route your phone to whatever country you want it to be in. So let's say, I don't know, you watch your streaming platforms that you normally use, um, but if you go out of the country, sometimes they don't work. Well, with a VPN, you can kind of route your phone to making it think that it's still at home or your tablet or that. So you can watch whatever you would have watched at home in that respect, it also works the other way around. You could use your VPN. Some people I know use it to um, watch things from other countries 
maybe different versions of various streaming platforms that they can get if they were, say, watching an American version of it or anywhere else, and that applies to sports as well. So it's a very, very clever um, a clever invention, I was going to say, something like that. You know, it, it's, a, it's a clever piece of technology in that security-wise, it's, it's brilliant for all of your devices, but also it kind of opens doors to so many other things you might want to do as well. Um, and I understand you've got a good offer for anyone that wants to, to get it as well. I do do have a very good offer. So you can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, shall we get on to transfers then? So I think that's what everyone wants to talk about at the moment with the transfer deadline just over a week away now, 11pm on Thursday, September the 1st. Antonio Conte was asked about potential incomings ahead of Saturday's game against Wolves and he basically set out Spurs' stance in the final week of the transfer window. If players want to move on and are to move on, then that's when they will be replaced. Obviously, we're expecting the likes of Sergio Reggion, Harry Winks to go, but these aren't the players who are going to be replaced because they're out of Conte's plans anyway. It's more if Japit Tanganga goes, Brian Hill uh, as well. So, yeah, it's one we're going to have to keep an eye on at Tottenham. I think everyone is going to be hoping for a bit of movement in the transfer window and... In terms of incomings, uh, a couple of names linked with the club this week. Daniel James, Anthony Gordon once again, and potentially could Spurs be looking at Adama Traore? Thanks for that. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for chucking Adama back into my life. Um, right, okay, where do we start? Uh, let's start with Daniel James. Um, yeah, definitely one that Parasuchi likes, um, but from what I was aware that isn't something that's kind of advanced anywhere beyond interest at that at this point um you know you can never rule out kind of things i think the key thing that we've got to understand is that you know i even i pressed again with the um asking conte on uh, saturday about brian hill if he goes you know definitely wants him replaced kind of thing and he was like very clear it's like no no we're all in agreement any of these players head out the door they will be replaced so i think the key is, if we see someone head out, in all likelihood, it means Spurs have lined up their replacement. I think it will be that way around. I don't think they'll take the risk of, OK, we'll let him go and hopefully we'll get someone before the window shuts. I don't think they'll let the player go until there is someone they're pretty confident they can get to an advanced position. Um, and, you know, like I say, that little piece that Conte was uh, talking about um, tactics and stuff with Premier League production with Owen Hargreaves, he was also quite interesting in talking about wing-backs. And he was very clearly stating that his ideal wing-backs pretty much are former wingers because of what he wants them to do. And I just wonder whether some of these names that we see linked, there's been a little thought along the line of, maybe I could turn him into a wing-back. You know, because you look at Perisic and he said Perisic is like one of the best in the world in that position. And Perisic was superb uh, in that second half. And kind of, he admitted he's more like the even Perisic I know. I just wonder whether you look at someone like Dan James, who question marks maybe over his end product, 
um, since he's burst onto the scene. Incredibly fast, incredibly good stamina, both of which very helpful in a Conte wingback role. Uh, and maybe there's a feeling that with that pace, perhaps, and this is me purely speculating, uh, maybe bringing him a little bit deeper to start those runs rather than making those runs at the final moment, maybe he, maybe Spurs or Paratic has identified him as a potential wingback. Um, I'd say the same by the sounds of it, it looks to be the way with Adama Traore. You know, certainly there was talk I know it wasn't there in the summer, wasn't there? Or was it January? January or summer? Summer and January. And January. Yeah. Yes, yeah. there's always, it's not a transfer window unless Adama Traore and Tottenham are linked in some way. Um, maybe with him, there's a thinking that perhaps he could play in that wing back role as well because of his strength. Uh, I would say it, it kind of is a bit of a race between if you'll pardon the pun, because they're both fast, between Traore and Dan James, between who can contribute the least um, in the final third, I'd say, in their careers thus far. Definitely that's a big, I suppose, cross against what they've done in their careers so far. Um, I think Dan James, what's Dan James, 24 now? He's about 24. Um, Dharma Traore, he's got to be getting up there. Was he 26? Six now, I'm guessing ages, but I think they're roughly around that. Um, yeah, yeah. Traore is 26. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, it's. I, I, I hate being too harsh. I, I do, but everyone knows my opinions, especially on Adama Traore, is that I think he does a lot of things right. I think he's skillful. I think he's fast. He's incredibly strong. We could see him right in front of us. And honestly, the man, he's like an incredible Hulk compared to the other players. He's just a ridiculous physical specimen of a man. He's just, he's, and I'm sure he said once, I never work out, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he said that, that man is overloaded with muscles. He, he must be doing something very special in the way that, I don't know how he manages it. Fabio Paratici, before the game in the warm-ups, was just staring at him constantly and the other wall subs. It was honestly, it was like love at first sight kind of thing. Um, but I just, my always, my biggest problem with him has always been is the end product. And it's, I, th I just feel he could be doing more. There's something maybe when he gets to that final third where decision-making, whatever it is, obviously he went to Barcelona instead of Spurs. First fortnight, everyone got very excited because I think he maybe produced a assist or two literally dropped off the face of the earth after that didn't contribute much fell out of the team was pretty much just being used in the odd sub appearance obviously he's come back to wolves hasn't really featured and he came off the bench on saturday my feeling with Traore is paratici loves him from everything i hear tried to bring him um to juventus from wolves back in the day for a big sum couldn't get him I think with Traore on the market, what is he, in the final year of his deal now, his value must be right down there. We must be talking about 10 million or under or something like that. Uh, maybe even, a, I don't even know if you can get away with a loan just to get him off their books. I don't know. I just wonder whether we're at that stage where Spurs look at that and think, well, for the sake of that price, for a guy that we know can certainly disrupt an opposition, maybe Conte can tease a bit more in the final third out of him. Um, someone's got to eventually, you know. I do think maybe that's a deal Spurs look at. Look at it would be the most ridiculous end of spectrum to the other in terms of replacing Hill with Triore. <laughs> You're going from probably one of the, 
I'm sure he'll admit himself, probably not the most physically uh, strong wingers in the game to one of the most ridiculously physically strong wingers in the game. Um, I, I just kind of feel, despite my reservations about his end product, I just wonder whether what, as another option, as your fifth, sixth choice option, whether, whether you know, whether Troy wants to be that or feels that he can push his way above that. Um, I, can't, I, don't, I can't even believe I'm saying this. I kind of feel like it almost makes sense um, if, if, as a sixth option to have him as this kind of wild card to throw into games and start the odd one. I, I don't think it's as crazy as I used to think. I think maybe when the price was up, there's 25 million 30. I was like, no way can I see the sense in that. But I think if we're coming down to the kind of prices that perhaps would be right now, maybe. So don't get me wrong. Anthony Gordon, who they've been linked with, um, I think could, is going to be a far, far better player. I think he's a terrific young winger. I'd say with him, definitely on price right now, the figures are just going into madness now for a 21-year-old with very little kind of career, I guess, thus far. You know, you're talking about paying the sort of sum. I mean, we're, we're talking about the 60 million now, aren't we? That's what the figure that seems to be dotting about. And Spurs, they really like Anthony Gordon. They wanted him as a bit of a double deal with Richarlison. But we're getting to a time now where you're talking about the fee for a player that is almost the fee when they're at their peak kind of thing or getting towards their peak. But people like, I just wonder whether there's almost like, I don't know, I, I, whether it's the Chelsea tax, whether when Chelsea come in for a player now, clubs know that they're quite desperate. I think we're maybe seeing this with Fafana at Leicester as well. The prices, I mean, we're hearing 80 million for him. And it's just like, I, I don't know what's happening there. And I just wonder whether Spurs look at that and think, well, that becomes a bit daft. And maybe then someone like Traore, for if it is eight, ten million, whatever the price would be for him in his last year of his contract, does it make sense? Because even if he doesn't work out, maybe he's easier to loan or sell at the end of it for roughly the same figure, if not more, if you look at it from a financial point of view. But from a football point of view, yeah, I think it will make a difference. But uh until the final third. But that's just my view. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of other. There'll be other names. You know, they're just three names. There will be more for those winger spots. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what do you, who, who would, you, I know you're going to say you wouldn't want Spurs to sign out of those three uh, because you don't want him to leave Everton. But, um, you know, who do you think would be the kind of best replacement if Brian Hill were to head out? I think as a sixth option, the best player is Brian Hill. For me. Love it. I agree. I agree. Basically, because, I mean, how much game time is the sixth option going to get? Barely any, let's be honest. Lucas is... Fa- for Brian Hill, though? <laughs> no, not not really. But then what's the point in spending millions on a player and they're not going to play? I just... I, I, I don't get it. I mean, look... Playing look devil's Luke- advocate... Would you, in that scenario, not be developing Brian Hill to be a more expensive player, I guess? Yeah. Rather than letting him not rot on the bench, but maybe stunt his development. I think maybe. you and I both have a very similar feeling when it comes to if he is to be loaned, where he should be loaned to, though. Yeah, I think if Brian Hill goes, he needs to be it needs to be a Premier League move because twelve months down the line, if he's gone to return to Valencia, you're in exactly the same situation where he's barely got any Premier League experience. But 
as I was saying, Lucas Mora's fifth option in the attacking pecking order as things stand. He's made two appearances for Tottenham out of the first three games. He's played 12 minutes of football. I know there's going to be a bit more rotation when the games are coming thick and fast and there's three games in a week. But is Conte ever going to rotate all three of his front three? Maybe in the Carabao Cup, but that's in November. So how much football is the sixth option going to play between now and then? Barely any. So Anthony Garden for 60 million, from a Tottenham perspective, no, it's it's too much money. It's daft money. And if he does go for 60 million, Spurs have got a cracking deal signing Richarlison for 60 million. When there was obviously Richie went for 60 million, I was thinking, right, if Garden goes, 40 million's fair price, especially because he's an up and, up and coming player. I think he'll be an England international at some point. He's not played a lot of Premier League football. 40 million, fair enough. But you know, if Chelsea gone off for another 20 million, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you'll take it. Yeah. But if it's out of Adama Traore and Dan James, I'd go for Traore. Basically, as you said, a bit of a wild card. Gives mm. Tottenham a bit of an X factor when he comes on. Can, you know, wreak havoc down Can he score his a good wing. Goal? Was it last night as well? He scored last night, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That yeah. annual swing of the leg work. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just think he can give the team a bit of a... X factor going forward, you just don't get players of his size and stature, do you? Regularly, yeah. so uh, that's the thing. Yeah. I think people yeah. say that I think he does have a lot of skill. It's just uh, yeah, he does. I think it'd be a good weapon to bring off the bench in terms of Dan James. When I've seen him, it's his playing the final third. What lets him down so many times? It's just it's non-existent. I can remember watching uh, Wales qualify. I think he might have been. Austria potentially in a World Cup semi-final and he was put through on goal about three times one-on-one just didn't look convincing at all I don't know if it's a a confidence thing and it's something he can work on Uh, I'm not sure but for me his pace might be saving grace really I don't know where he'd be playing potentially if he didn't have that I've got a friend who supports Leeds and you know He's praised him recently for the work rate, uh, chips in defensively, you know, has an impact going forward. And especially if teams such as Leeds aren't going to have that much possession of the ball, then having someone with that pace is brilliant for them to get up the pitch when they do have the ball. Uh, I'd go with Traore over James. I I wouldn't touch Gordon for 60 million. (laughs) <laughs> I, want, you, I mean, I know, I know. It's what you too mean. much money. You're not saying that just you don't want to lose him from Everton. You are also saying price-wise, it's too much. Yeah, I'm saying that from a, a Tottenham perspective. If he's going to be six in the pecking order, why would you? Why on earth would you spend sixty million? Yeah, it's, this is what it just I mean. Don't make sense. Yeah, this is what I mean about the Troy thing. I do feel. I agree. I'd love to see Brian Hill stay, and I'd like to see him getting the chances in the, in the domestic cup and things like that, and also in the Premier League. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think stature-wise, I just think, just think physically. I don't know if Conte entirely trusts him. I think he needs to build up a lot. Uh, it's no coincidence that you know he replaced him with a six-foot-one Sweden Dejan Kulusevski. Um, 
And yeah, and, and also what we mustn't forget with Dan James as well, and it's the same obviously with Traore, neither are homegrown players. Dan James spent his kind of formative years at Swansea just when UEFA needed uh, him not to in terms of uh, being considered a homegrown player. So he doesn't. Anthony Gordon, of course, would. Um, yeah, and then we've got defence. You know, we haven't even touched on that yet with Jaffet Tanganga. From what I understand, Jaffet Tanganga wants to go to AC Milan. If he is to head out on loan, AC Milan is his number one choice. Um, Forrest, obviously, very interested as well. I think the stumbling block between I uh, Ajax, between AC Milan and Spurs is that I, uh, I keep saying Ajax for some reason. AC Milan are happy to put in an option to buy, whereas Spurs want to put in an obligation to buy Jaffet, which I was quite surprised at, but that's what I'm hearing from various kind of sources that, yeah, they want an obligation to buy of 25 million euros, which is about 21 and a half-ish uh, million pounds, which, yeah, kind of, it, it's a weird one because it's quite a bit of money, but it also signifies they decided, you know, maybe it's it, it, his time is done almost. I guess injury-wise, he's been very unfortunate. That hasn't helped his case at all. Um, but certainly Spurs would have to move, you know, would have to have a defender lined up because obviously with Christian Romero at the moment, the Romero situation, I just find it, I just find it so funny. It's just classic uh, Christian Romero. So if anyone has been under a rock and hasn't known what's happened, so Christian Romero injured himself late on in the game against Chelsea, uh, an adductor muscle injury, which understand uh, certainly from within the club is not to do with the Cucurella challenge despite reports um, that did leave a rather unpleasant mark on his leg and his groin but it's not actually believed to be the cause of this muscle injury um, so the medical department told um, Christian Romero okay so the ductor muscle injury is going to take you uh, three to four weeks to uh, recover from this one and by the sounds of it uh, he pretty much went okay, so I'm, I'm okay to play for the weekend. <laughs> and like, offered his services to Conte. And I think everyone was like, no, Christian, no, no, we appreciate that you want to play, but no, 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 you can't. Um, and I think he very much is kind of feeling, oh, I'm not injured, I'm ready to play. But, he, you know, he hasn't been training. He's been just getting treatment. He did very similar, apparently, for those three games we were talking about, that Davin Sanchez at the end of last season to fill in. Apparently, Romero back then was like, no, no, I can play. And they were like, no, no, you really can't. Um, and I guess what happens now, it's just a case of, I guess, the medical department, Conte and Romero have to come together and decide, look, if it is just a case with you playing with pain and it won't hurt you or cause you any further damage and you want to play, crack on. If that's okay. If that's what you want to do, then that's your choice. I guess if there's any, any element whatsoever that he could make it worse, then I'm sure he'll be told, Christian, we get it. You want to play, but for your longer term kind of injury concerns i think we just need to make you sit out of this one um so i think his camp was certainly pushing the back in two weeks angle uh which would just put him back in time for forest um and i guess we'll find out from conte this week exactly what's been decided whether they've just thought let's maybe aim for west ham or possibly is it fulham what's the one after west ham fulham fulham at home yeah yeah whether maybe and if they go for Fulham, obviously we're then up to that three weeks, which was their original diagnosis. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I just I just love that. I just the whole story makes me crack up because it is just classic Romero. 
Honestly, that man would have like one leg and he would still be out there trying to tackle someone in a really aggressive way as well, probably. Um, I love that. That's what you want. That's Conte loves that. He loves availability, as he keeps calling it. And that's why, you know, we know what Conte is like. He will push that medical department, which is why he very much came out straight away and was almost making it sound like, no, no, he's out for this game. But um, yeah, we'll see whether it's any more. Hopefully it's not because, you know, but then I guess as we were saying earlier, you've got Davidson Sanchez. Do you need to risk Christian Romero against Nottingham Forest? Would you rather, I guess, keep him for the West Ham game? It probably makes more sense having him in a better condition, especially if the suggestions from his camp were going to be that he wasn't going to return to training until a couple of days before Forest, if that was what was actually going to happen. You know, the medical department, you'd think, would have a bit of a say on it uh, rather than just his camp. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. But sorry, back to your original point. In terms of defence, with him out injured, with Tanganga potentially leaving, I think that you have to very quickly bring a player in. But then this is a question for you. Do you bring that player in mind, like we're saying about the winger thing, as it is someone who is unlikely to be starting every single game? Or do you go out there and do you sign someone that absolutely pushes for that spot and is a potential starter? And yes, I know Conte technically sees it all as the above. I, I don't know. It's a difficult one, really. Well, because Longley's on loan, isn't he? So Longley is already one of those type players. Yeah, uh, maybe you go and spend the money, but I think it's got to be if it's the player you want, not just spending money for the sake of it. Uh I think at the moment it's if Romero was out for any longer, I think you just keep Tanganga. As much yeah. as the player needs a loan, you do what's right by Tottenham, not by the yeah. player. Uh yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I think this will probably be one what goes right up until the deadline. Uh you've just got to ensure you have enough options because you've seen it with obviously Romero picking up an injury. Longley was out against Chelsea. You just don't want to leave yourself too short. But then on the other side, is that six option going to play a lot? Maybe not. So, I guess yeah. with Longley being able to play left or centre, it gives you the option to bring in someone who can play on the left or centre because Longley can switch to the other one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just one for Fabio Parastici and Antonio Conte to decide whether it is a case of looking at maybe another temporary deal or going out and, you know, bringing in a world-class player if there's one available and it's someone who the one I just, as is the case in the attack, I don't see the point in spending money for the sake of it. I know obviously there was the 150 million cash injection and everyone's desperate to for all that to be spent. We don't need to just spend what you can, save some for January. I just don't see the point in spending for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel... I feel they'll be continuing to monitor opportunities. I I do think they will. I, I don't know. I just got a feeling there will be a bit, little bit more money spent by Spurs uh, before that window closes. I think they'll look for any late opportunities and that may be what allows them to let a Tanganga or a Hill go. Um, because, yeah, I just get that feeling that Conte, he says he's content with the squad. I just wonder whether he feels that one extra bit of quality would really push them on. Um, and whether that comes at the back or, or up front, uh, attacking midfielder or a striker, yeah, we'll see. But I, d- I just feel there's 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 another twist to come. Is what I think. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, just what are we? Uh, eight days away from the window now, so mm. 
plenty can still happen in that time. And Tottenham, you know, usually leave it very late in the transfer market. It was deadline day uh, back in January when Dane Kulisewski and Rodrigo Bensonker signed on. So, you know, it could very much go right up until uh, the deadline at 11pm. And you always get an unexpected bid for your players. There's always someone, uh, someone that kind of brings in a bid. It may be a Davinson Sanchez, who knows? Or or Emerson, you know, still, still Emerson, I think people will be interested in. Because that was the thing I also took from that Conte thing, was him talking about wing-backs. They kind of, he prefers wingers. That's, that's not Emerson Royale. So I just wonder whether if there were to be a late bid I mean, Emerson would have to agree with that, and he is currently the happiest man ever to have been at Tottenham Hotspur by the looks of all his interviews, which is lovely. Um, but yeah, you never know. You might get a late bid for him or Davidson Sanchez, or who knows what if Real Madrid did come in with a big bid for Hoybier? Does that, you know, does, despite the fact that we're saying that he should stay, if it is silly money, do Spurs just think, well, you know, maybe we have to take that? Um, so yeah, honestly, anything can happen these last eight days. Yeah, right. Let's get on to the cup draws because there's two coming up uh, this week. Tonight we have the third round of the Carabao Cup draw that is taking place then after Tramier's game against Newcastle United at Prenton Park. Uh, that game is quite a way away, to be honest. It's week commencing November the 7th. So, yeah. Prepare. Yeah. <laughs> Very early. And then on Thursday night, we have the Champions League draw, 5pm, that's taking place in Istanbul, in Turkey. Uh, They're hosting the Champions League final uh, this year, and I think it's a draw everyone connected with Spurs is looking forward to, especially after not playing in the Champions League uh, in the previous two seasons. Last played March 2020 against RB Leipzig, obviously before the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it was it was it was coming. I remember that we were kind of all the German games were starting to get called off while we were out there. Um, yeah, I remember that they kind of cooped us up in a in a hallway, which was where we were waiting to get into the ground for the match. And it was just like you could see everyone it was probably about eighty journalists cooped up in this kind of small room, and we were all at that phase thinking, "Oh yeah, there's there's this coronavirus thing that everyone's talking about." we probably really shouldn't be all this kind of tight together and, and like breathing all over each other. Um, God, yeah, I forgot about that. That was that was slap bang as it all was just about to kind of explode, as it were. Yeah. Was it then the following week that he decided to postpone the rest of the, the other half of the round of 16 games and then were they played after the pandemic? Yeah, Project like restart. Spurs... Spurs were going to play Man U, weren't they? I feel like they, yes. did they squeeze in a cup game after that, or was Leipzig's last game? It wasn't Norwich, was it? What was? It could have been. I think Burnley was the last Premier League game. What yes. was March the seventh? Maybe they did have the Norwich Cup game after Possibly. that, or was that before? Yeah. No, feels like a lifetime ago. Norwich was before because Skippy played really well and then started at Turf Moor. So it might right. have been the Champions League game, potentially. Right, anyway, let's get back on to the <laughs> yeah. Champions League draft. So we're going away from it. Right, yes. Tottenham will be in pot two for the draw. As ever, there's four pots, uh, eight groups of four. I'll run through the pots now because there's the potential of obviously a bit of a nightmare draw for Tottenham or potentially a bit of a dream draw. So pot one, 
Real Madrid, Eintracht Frankfurt, Man City are in there. Tottenham can't get City because from the same association as them. There's AC Milan, Bayern Munich, PSG, Porto and Ajax. Pot 2 consists of Liverpool, Chelsea, Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, RB Leipzig and Spurs. So there's early five. Op- that pot 2 is Not horrendous. Pot two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God Spurs are in it. Yeah. Uh, pot 3, Borussia Dortmund, RB Salzburg, Shakhtar Donetsk, Inter Milan, Napoli, Benfica, Sporting CP and Bayer Leverkusen. Pot four, Marseille, Club Bruges, Celtic, Victoria Pilsen, Maccabi Haifa are the confirmed teams at the moment. And then after tonight's remaining Champions League playoff uh, second leg games, it's going to be one of Rangers or PSV. That's 2-2 going into the second leg. Dinamo Zagreb against Norwegian side Bodo Glimt. And then there's Copenhagen against Trabzon Spore. So for you, Ali... Who would you want? Do you want one of the big teams uh, or do you just want a draw where you think Spurs can, you know, progress through into the knockout phase? I think think that's the ideal scenario. Yeah, I think Champions League, it's the Champions League. It it is what it is. You have to play a big team. I I always think it's a bit of a, uh, when you don't have a big team in the group stage with you. And now, obviously, it's better... But ultimately, you're going to have to beat these teams at some point anyway. Um, so I'd, I'd like quite a big one in the pot. So out of pot one, I'd go for... I'd like to go somewhere we haven't been before as for the Spurs fans or, or somewhere we haven't been in a while anyway. So I think that leaves you pretty much Frankfurt, PSG or Porto. I'd maybe go PSG. I think that would be the big glamour tie, um, you know, with uh, heading off to Paris would be interesting. Although Porto's a lovely place in terms of being purely selfish about where I'd, I'd want to go here, uh, if I were to cover the game. Yeah, PSG or Porto for me from pot one. Um, pot three. Ooh, that's a tough one. There's some really interesting ties in there. I love Lisbon. So on an absolutely selfish point of view, I'd love to go to Lisbon. But... Don't really want Dortmund again. I feel like Spurs have been there, done that a million times. Um, Salzburg would be very different. It certainly would. Um, Shakhtar would be very interesting. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how that works right now, and, and, and how, I'm sure we'll learn more on that as that comes. Um, yeah, I'd go for I'll go for Salzburg, something different from Pot Three, Pot Four. Pot Four is just anything goes, isn't it? It's madness. Can you'll know as the expert? Can you draw a Scottish team in the group stages? I presume yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah, you can. Well, bearing in mind, we've just covered Spurs at Rangers. Probably don't need to head back to Glasgow straight away. So I would go for Dinamo Zagreb because I think that'd be interesting. Bit of Croatia. You've been there, though, haven't you? Europa League. No. One of these who knocked, knocked them out at Europa when Jose were manager and he had that massive rant after. No, was that not when we weren't allowed to go? I feel like I didn't go there. Right. I feel like... Uh... I just assume you did. <laughs> no. I know I yeah. get around, but I don't... I, I think I'd remember going to Zagreb. I remember watching no. Hugo Lloris on the telly. 
Right. Okay. You maybe you didn't go to it then, but Tottenham did play Dinamo Zagreb in the round of sixteen in the Europa League. It was a three nil one. Yeah, three nil. So it might be on telly then. Yeah. Right. Who would you have? Uh, in terms of you know wanting to play the best and you know go to these brilliant grounds, Real Madrid be a standout. PSG not played them. That'd be a really good test, you know, up against Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. Pop three. I like the San Siro, so Inter, but it'd be good to go to Napoli as well. Uh, and there's Benfica or Sporting there as well. So potentially a tie in Lisbon. Uh, pop four. Rangers for me, so I've not been to Ibrox. But I think Copenhagen would be a good one. If uh, if they go through against Trabs on Spa uh, tonight, Marseille as well away that'd be an incredible atmosphere at the Velodrome. Uh, yeah, but if if you wanted the favourable draw, I think you'd probably be looking at one of Frankfurt or Porto from Pot One, Pot Three, maybe Shakhtar uh, or Salzburg, and then Pot Four, Club Rouge, Pilsen, Maccabi Haifa, one of those. Uh, so I think always, as is the case with the Champions League, someone is going to get a bit of a nightmare draw because there's some great teams in pot one and great teams in pot three as well, especially with Dortmund, Inter and Napoli in there. You know, Celtic Rangers maybe, pot four. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, but I think hopefully Tottenham will be able to, you know, be handed a draw where they can progress through to the knockout phase and, you know, go far in the competition it's one Conte he's not won before and he will want to go far uh, this time so yeah fingers crossed they will get a bit of a favourable draw yeah I suppose I've got a lot of experience in Champions League now this is yeah, it it's yeah. kind of we forget you know this is a team that had reached the final only a few years ago so there's a lot of players there that know what that feels like knows how to kind of win big European nights of football They've brought in experienced players like Perisic and Longley, who have played lots of Champions League games as well. Um, Forster's played in Champions League as well. Um, obviously, for Basuma and Richarlison, it's one of those things that's kind of a dream that, that they'll now hopefully get to do. Um, and perhaps Jed Spence as well. We'll see how kind of his season develops. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think Spurs would go to anyone fearing that team. Um, I think they've proved that. You know, last season in the Premier League alone under Conte, Man City and Liverpool couldn't beat them. So I don't think, and, and bearing in mind, you'd probably say Liverpool and City are among the best teams in the in Europe right now. Um, I don't think they should really go anywhere and be worried about those games, which is, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's fantastic to kind of be in that top, top level competition again. Yeah, and I think, as you're saying, I don't think teams will want to come up against Tottenham as well, especially at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where it's going to be absolutely rocking come uh, the Champions League games. And just mentioning the final back in 2019, if Spurs didn't get to the final, they would be in pot three of the competition uh, Mm -hmm. due to the coefficient ranking. So if you're in pot three, uh, very tasty groups, potentially with, you know, Barca, Juve, Atletico, severe as well in uh, yeah. pot two. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, 5pm tomorrow, uh, draw in Istanbul in Turkey. I'm sure it'll be on BT Sport as they have the Champions League rights. But we'll also be doing uh, a live blog of the draw on football.london. Uh, I think that's about it for today, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think we covered plenty. Yeah, another long podcast. So as ever, thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.